G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. It's impossible for you to come up with any kind of physical image that does justice to God. God is strong, wealthy, powerful, but it conceals more than it reveals because God is so much more. So if that's the only image you have of God, you're going to miss out on so much that God is. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff has another message from his series on the Ten Commandments. This time he's looking at the verse, Thou shalt not make any idols. Some idols in the Bible we may not relate to today, but let's hear from Pastor Jeff as he begins by defining what idols can look like for us in our current culture. Can anybody tell me the name of the series? Ways to Freedom, based on the little Ways app. Um, Turning your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians 1.15. You might say, why are we in Colossians? The Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20. And if you'll notice in this series, we've always been trying to find a New Testament passage that gives us a greater exposition of the Old Testament command. Remember what we said about the commandments. They're not to make you righteous or to save you. They're to show you that your face is dirty and that you need grace, and everybody in this room needs it, including everybody on the stage. And so now we come to the second commandment, which is the most difficult one, which requires the most research. And let me read it for you. In Exodus 20, it says, verse 4, Thou shalt not make any graven images. What on earth is a graven image? Whatever it is, you can't do it in the heavens, on the earth, or in the waters below. So that pretty much covers it. No graven images up there, down here, or the earth below. To get a fuller exposition of what's happening here, we read Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now, to help us understand what a graven image is so that we don't do it, and probably no command other than the first one causes more disintegration of the soul than the violation of this command. So it's important to know what it is. Let me give you two illustrations. Here's the first one, then we're going to set it aside and come back and get it later. The illustration is my iPad. Okay, here's one of the pages on my iPad. And on an iPad, you have what are called iPads. Icons, and you click on the icon. The definition of an icon, according to Webster, is a person or thing regarded as a representative symbol of something else. So the icon is a little bit of picture of something more full behind it. So if I click on the Waze app, uh, I don't know how we men survived before Waze. So if I click on it, it's my wife's picture and voice telling me where to go and what to do. No, I'm just kidding about that. 
However, I do like this cartoon that came out recently. I don't fully understand it, but I'm sure somebody can help me understand it later. <clears throat> you can tell my wife's out of town this week. But if I click on that behind it is Deeper Direction. And then I've got another app called V1. It's right in the middle of the red app. That's uh, videos of great golf swings so that I can contrast and compare my swing and see how bad it really is. I got the Bible Gateway app, little Bible with a bookmarker on top of it. But if you open it up, it's the Bible as a whole, cross-references and commentary. I've got the WGT app, the World Golf Tour app down on the uh, or up on the far right corner, the second one down. It's where I can play this game to give myself the illusion that I'm better at golf than I really am. And then the Just Thinking app, my favorite app, is an RZIM app, helping the believer think and the thinker believe. So it's kind of like a, a column of a great educational institution, but behind that are great articles about God and theology and philosophy. So again, an icon on your iPad, uh, it, it's a person or thing regarded as a representative symbol of something deeper, something else. All right, so take that icon idea and just shove it over here for a moment. Now, let me give you the second illustration. You may find this hard to believe, but before I met my wife, Robin, uh, I dated a young lady for four years. It was a, uh, the biggest waste of my life up until this point. Uh, but I was stalked and enticed by her parents. In other words, her parents kind of chose me uh, to marry their daughter. And uh, I didn't mind it at first because she was gorgeous. How Not as gorgeous as my wife, but she was gorgeous and very rich. And those are two things that guys like. Because when we're 18 years old, we kind of live by the motto that I want to make as much money as possible and do as little work as possible to get it. And so I met this girl. She's gorgeous. She's got a lot of money. And over time, uh, I began to do something uh, that my father actually had to point out to me. Uh, my mother tried to tell me this forever, but sons don't really listen to their mothers because they really believe their mothers just have to say those things and they're full of useless advice. But your father, it's different when he takes you behind the woodshed and says, son, here's the way it is. So finally, after four years, I broke it off. There were other things that were brought to bear, but primarily my father helped me realize what I was doing with this young girl. He said, you know, you're projecting onto her what you want her to be, not what she really is. And you're doing it because she's wealthy and you think you're going to have an easy life. Now you think about that. So I'm projecting an image I have of her onto her, but it's not who she really is. This happens all the time. It's the way we live our lives and you don't even realize it. Young girls walk into my office and they say, look, I'm going to get married. Would you do the ceremony? And I ask a few questions. I'll say, why do you want to marry? And they can't come up with any answers. And usually the number one answer is, well, he's got money and he'll take care of me. Now, I'm not saying every girl's like that nor every guy. I'm just saying this happens a lot. And then I'll say, well, are there any other traits that you're attracted to? Oh yeah, he's awesome. Well, can you give me some examples? And they struggle. Uh, well, he's good to me. Oh, that's great. Well, can you give me some examples of how he's good to you? They can't because they're blinded a little bit by the issue of security and wealth. And so they've projected onto the guy things that they wish he was, but he's really not. This is what we do. When it comes to our relationships, we tend to see each other as we wish each other were, not as we truly are. Now, in my case, uh, there was this constant rationalization going on in my mind. I didn't realize it until after we'd broken up. I would say to myself, well, she is a Christian, but she wasn't a Christian. She had no interest in God or the church. Church was just a social experience for her to catch up with her friends. 
I'd say to myself, well, her parents raised her well. No, they didn't. She was a spoiled, rotten little brat uh, that had no idea the value of money and enough was never enough. So I told myself, well, at least my parents like her. No, they didn't. My mom cried for four years and my father tried to warn me time and time again. And finally it all came to an end when I told them I felt the call of God on my life to be a pastor. And their parents said, well, our daughter's not going to date a pastor who makes it that little money. No way are we going to affirm this relationship. So that was the end. Now, one of the worst things in any relationship is when one person wants to believe the other party is a particular way instead of watching and listening to who the other person really is. And yet we do it. It's called the God complex. And we do it because we want to control our world. So we project an image onto other people of what we want them to be, not as they truly are. Happens all the time. Stay with me. I want to hammer this just a second. Alison Rowe was a famous runner in New Zealand. She won the Boston and the New York marathons in the same year. She came to me when she started coming to the church. She said, look, I had first marriage and it was a disaster. I've got two kids, but I've met a new man and I want to marry him and I want you to do the ceremony. Will you do it? So I started to ask my regular questions. You know, is he a believer? Is he going to, is he going to grow you in your relationship? Is he going to help grow your children in your relationship with God? She goes, absolutely. He's a believer. No doubt in her mind. I said, okay, well, let me have a cup of coffee with him. I'll ask him some key questions and I'll give you my decision. So after about 10 or 15 minutes of meeting with him at my favorite cafe called Pickles on Pickering, (laughs) I finally realized this guy's not only not a believer, he's an atheist. Now, how could you miss it that far? How could you, I mean, how could you, how could you make that kind of mistake? Well, it happens all the time because you tend to believe what you really want to believe about a person that you want to have a relationship with. So if you really want to have a relationship with somebody, you will believe what you want to believe and project the image you have of them onto them, and you'll never see who they really are until you're on this collision course with reality, and when it all comes out, it's usually not very good for you. Every counselor will tell you that everybody's guilty to some degree of this, projecting what you believe or want somebody to be onto them in an attempt to manipulate your world to give you what it is that you need. You, I mean, we're great at this. We will, we will come up with our own personal reality that is totally subjective just so we can sleep at night. We're very good at it. We can convince ourselves that we're good looking. <laughs> we can convince ourselves that we're filled with popularity and everybody likes us. And sometimes that's true, not often. We're incredibly gifted at creating a reality around us and projecting images onto other things and other people that doesn't represent who they really are, but who we want them to be. Now, because this is so dominant in the human experience, how much more do we do it with God? Whether or not we admit it, the most important relationship to us is the relationship with the creator. Okay. Listen, as I've said before, in the hundreds and hundreds of debates that I've had, I have never met a real atheist. The real issue is they're angry with God, but it's hard to be angry with somebody who doesn't exist, (coughs) right? (laughs) So they claim to be atheists, and part of that is because we know, down deep inside, we know that God exists. I'm telling you, the Bible talks about the suppression of truth, not the absence of truth. And so we know down deep inside somewhere that he's there, and so we have to create God in our own image so that we're able to sleep at night. So what some of us do... We don't want to believe in God because if we believe in God, we know we'll have to do some changes in our lives and we don't want to do that. So the false reality that we create is that there's no God. 
See, but we, we, it always eats at us, which is why we get so angry when somebody brings it up. Think about it. If we really didn't believe, it wouldn't bother us that much. We just think it's some fairy tale. But people will spend an enormous amount of time saying, there's no God, there's no God. Well, you're protesting because down and deep inside, you know there's a God and you've got to resolve this relationship. But other people, other people now, they still believe in God, but they create the God, they project the image they have of God onto God. And it's, it's, it's uncanny how God agrees with them on everything. <laughs> they create a God who loves everything they love and hates everything they hate. It's uncanny. <laughs> For others, they see God as a gracious God who never requires anything. See, that's the God they really want. I want a God who gives me everything, requires nothing of me. So that's, what I, that's the God I believe in. And still others want a God who judges no one but punishes people who are really evil. I've, I've had some good conversations where someone will say, I can't believe in your God, Jeff, because he judges people. And then 10 minutes later, they'll say, I can't believe in your God, Jeff, because he allows evil in the world. Well, how can he not allow evil without judging somebody? I mean, you can't have both. You put God in no-win situations. So the point is, as much as we do it with each other, we do it with God more than anything else. We create God. I'm telling you, there are many of you in this room right now, you have projected your own image of what God should be onto God. And the Bible is going to tell you with these graven images passages that you're on a collision course with reality that's not going to be good for you because God is not subjective. I don't care how you feel about God. The question is, do your feelings match up with the reality of who God says he is? Stephen Hawking just died, and that's another sermon in and of itself. But one of the things Stephen Hawking said that I've always remembered, he said, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. It's when you think you got it figured out, but you don't. And you're living in a dream world because you projected a reality of the world that doesn't exist. And we do it with God more than anything else. So this commandment is about God saying, don't project your own image of me onto me. That's called making a graven image. And it's so awful and it wreaks so much havoc in life and living that there's an entire command dedicated to it where it says, you shall not worship any graven images. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought that's the first commandment. First commandment says thou shalt not worship any other gods. Well, that's not the same as the second commandment. The first one says, don't worship any other God than the true God. But the second commandment, its meaning is that you must not worship God as you project him to be or prefer him to be, but instead you must worship God as he truly is. Amen. Wow. <laughs> so the temptation and tendency of everybody in the room, you created a God that you like, that you get along with, that you prefer, as if God is subjective. You feel God should be a certain way, therefore you think that he is. Now you say, Hold, slow down, Jeff, just a moment. Okay. What is it that's actually forbidden? Two things, and then I'll move on. Number one, we are commanded not to attempt to make the invisible God visible. We're forbidden to make any physical representations of God. It's based on something God said in Deuteronomy 4. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at orb at the fire. In other words, I didn't come down in any form. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, a, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like an animal or earth or any bird that flies in the air or like a creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters. Again, that, that pretty much covers it. You are not to worship a physical representation of God. 
Why? Why not? Tim Keller gives the best definition I've heard of this. He says, any physical picture that you create of God will conceal more than it will reveal. It's impossible for you to come up with any kind of physical image that does justice to God. So Aaron builds the golden calf and he does so because he thinks it will represent the gold and the power and the wealth and the strength of God. And God is strong, wealthy, powerful, but it conceals more than it reveals because God is so much more. So if that's the only image you have of God, you're going to miss out on so much that God is. That's the issue God warns against. And quite frankly, when any woman or man creates an image of God, isn't it uncanny how they create God the way they would like God to be? So if you're going to create an image of God, would he be smiling, frowning, muscular, lean, handsome, homely? Well, it all depends on what you want. It will be self-serving. Now, let me go down this rabbit trail just a second. And if you'll stay with me here, it's, I think there's a powerful image coming. When I was growing up in church, we had these images of Jesus, these paintings. I remember the uh, Warner uh, Salmon painting. We had what it's called now. This is kind of like the feminine Jesus, okay? Uh, soft and easy, gracious and merciful. This is the Jesus you like. Franco Zeffirelli came along and gave us Robert Powell, the Jesus of Nazareth Jesus that we watched every Easter. Very stoic Jesus, calm and cool, profound, passive. And then my grandmother had hanging on her wall the, the Revelation 3.20, the knocking Jesus, the come to dinner Jesus, the gentleman of peace, the invitation without judgment. Just come over for a cup of tea. And in 1977, Ralph Kozak gave us the laughing Jesus, which was a deep contrast to the medieval Jesus of the man of sorrows. This Jesus said, lighten up a little bit. Don't be so serious. This was a Jesus who loves to partay and have a good time, right? <laughs> now, Tom Skinner, I don't know if you remember who he is, the great American Christian evangelist who grew up in the streets of Harlem said one of the reasons he couldn't believe in Jesus when he was a kid was because of all the pictures he saw of Jesus in church. And he looked at those pictures and he said, that guy wouldn't last one hour in my neighborhood. <laughs> the problem is, if you create a Harlem-type Jesus, then there's a whole other neighborhoods that are going to say, that's not my God, that's not my Jesus. So the Bible says, don't create any physical graven images. Because if you try to convey something, you're going to conceal much more than you'll ever be able to reveal. Even though you might reveal the meekness and mildness and approachability of Jesus, and he is in that same graven image, you're not going to be able to portray his wrath and his fury and his courage and his boldness. The one who, well, drove out the money changers in the temple. Don't try it. You won't be good at it. And one of the greatest problems in church history, now listen to me, men, this is particular with us. One of the problems in church history is that every time a man came along who overemphasized one image of Jesus over and above another, war happened. People started fighting about it. So one group of men wanted a tough, rugged Jesus. The other wanted a soft and compassionate. The problem is he's both. And you can't portray in one image both aspects. And so every time that happened, and every time whoever came up with the image thought that they were right. And that they have achieved the perfect balance. But what they've done is violated the second commandment. You've made a graven image. Now, 
If you think about this for a moment, when we do make those images quickly, when we make them, it's based on how I really want to relate to God. So I make God in a way that I would like to relate to him. So if I need a soft, compassionate God, I'm going to make God like that. If I need a rough, rugged leader, I'm going to make God like that. So I'm going to be incredibly self-serving, which makes no sense at all, because the real God is going to contradict you at almost every point. Do you remember the story of Moses in the burning bush? Moses walks up. God says, what? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Moses says, who are you? Does God say, I am whoever you want me to be? <laughs> no, 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 no. He says, I am who I am. In other words, I'm unchanging. This is who I am. And then he says, come close. Then he says, go away. Come close, go away. I mean, it's, it's like my wife when I was first dating her. Come close, go away. Come close. And God was trying to show Moses something here. Trying to say, Moses, I want relationship, but you're on holy ground. So I'm compassionate and I want intimacy, but you're on holy ground. And it was trying to show Moses that the God we serve is not a God of clay. A God of clay, you can mold and shape in your own image, but a God of fire, which is why God often appears, burning bush, a God of fire shapes and molds everything that comes into contact with. So the commandment is, thou shalt not make any graven images in the heavens, on the earth, or the waters below. Now, be careful. Thou shalt not imagine me. When we talk about image, we think it's only physical. Now we move into the second part of this, but it's also mental. Because any physical image you have comes from a mental image you had first. So God basically says, you must not imagine me to be whatever you want me to be. You must allow your imagination to be regulated by truth. By objective truth. J.I. Packer, the great British theologian said, the second commandment means that any statement that begins with, I like to think of God as, should not be trusted. <laughs> all right, let's take a little time out here. This is so important, folks. Now, all of you have grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles that say, well, I think God is like this. Well, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, you go ahead, but you could be wrong. Especially since your idea of God is self-serving. It's going to be the kind of God you want. Think of how arrogant that is. Hey, how do you like that when somebody projects an image onto you? How do you want to respond? You want, hey, wait a minute. I'm me. I'm not a book you can edit. You know, you can't just carry an image around in your pocket. This is me. I'm the real me. And so in our world today, when objective truth has been thrown out the window, I mean, oh, this, is, this is more important now than probably that it's been in human history. Because we are denying objective truth. Right now, if you go to university settings, there's this thing called the transcendental signified. So at our university campuses right now, our kids are being taught there's no such thing as a transcendental signified. That is, there's no such thing as words that have absolute meaning. Now, the motivation behind this is so that we can rewrite history. So we can take what is written in history and change the words to mean what we feel they mean rather than objectively what they mean. And so we're doing the same thing. Now, before I move on, does anybody see the problem with this? Uh, so if somebody comes up to me and says, do you know words have no absolute meaning? The problem is you had to use words with absolute meaning to tell me that words had no absolute meaning. You with me? So you're in trouble from the get go. And then we take the same objective subjective argument. And we apply it to God. Say it doesn't, no, no, no. Whatever you think God is, that's good. However you feel God to be, that's good. So I like to kind of turn the table. I said, okay, I feel that God is a mean, mean God who just likes to watch you squirm. 
And they'll say, well, God couldn't be like that. And I'll say, well, hey, you just told me that God is whatever I feel God is. Down deep inside, we know the more you clobber the absolute, the more it will clobber you. There is an objectivity to God. And the second commandment is God saying, don't worship me as you want me to be. Don't think of me as you want me to be. Worship me and think of me as I reveal myself to be and as I really am. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. We all tend to project an image of God on what we think God should be, not as He truly is. How arrogant is that? The commandment is, thou shalt not make any graven images in the heavens, on the earth, or the waters below. So God basically says, you must not imagine me to be whatever you want me to be. You must allow your imagination to be regulated by truth. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.